There is a religious order in New York City called the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, an amazing order. They just walk around the streets of New York uh, in the Bronx and evangelize to the neighborhood. They also speak at conferences for the youth across the nation. It seems, at least to me, that all of them have these huge long beards. So I always joke that when you ask to join their order, their first question isn't how holy you are, or, uh, how your relationship with Jesus is, but rather, can you grow a beard? Now I was telling a college student this once and she fired back, Father, do you have beard envy? I responded, I suppose I do. In all seriousness though, envy, jealousy, these are not good things. They can make enemies out of potential friends and allies. This is what was going on in the first reading. Now Saul was king of Israel, but ever since the whole David and Goliath thing, uh, David had become quite popular and a very successful military leader. So much so that Saul began to become jealous of David and became afraid that David would take the throne away from him. Which maybe Saul actually had a right to be afraid, uh, since David did. He eventually took uh, the throne away from uh, Saul's son and became king. So strong was Saul's jealousy of David's success and popularity that our first reading says Saul took 3,000 men and pursued and hunted David in order to try and kill David. One night, as Saul, his right-hand man, Abner, and the 3,000 soldiers uh, that Saul had with him, they were asleep. And while they were asleep, David was able, uh, with his right-hand man, Abishai, to tiptoe into Saul's camp. Abishai tells David that God himself has delivered Saul into David's hand and asked for permission to use Saul's spear to kill Saul. David, however, responds that they must not touch God's anointed. Instead, David and Abishai grab Saul's spear and a water jug and leave Saul's camp. Once they are a safe distance away, David calls out to Abner. Now he kind of pokes fun at Abner for not doing a better job of protecting and guarding his king. David shows Abner and Saul, Saul's spear, as proof that he had snuck into Saul's camp and had a chance to kill him, but didn't. Saul was trying to kill David, but when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, he refrained. David understood that Saul, even though Saul was in the wrong, was loved by God. David trusted that God would take care of Saul. David trusted that God would bring Saul to justice for his pursuit of David's life. David trusted that he did not need to take justice into his own hands. All, in all of this, David is able to show mercy and love to his enemy Saul. The responsorial psalm says, God is kind and merciful. David is able to show Saul mercy because David is a man after God's own heart. This is what scripture tells us, that David is a man after God's own heart. David is able to be merciful to Saul because David is close to God. God is merciful, and thus David is merciful to Saul. Having the kind of mercy that David had for Saul is not natural. It is supernatural. St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul says that the first Adam was from the earth, 
But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was from heaven. In our birth, we bear the image of Adam. In our rebirth, in our baptism, we begin to image Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that we can start to image our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus gave us mercy we did not deserve from the cross, we too are called to give mercy to others who have wronged us. Jesus in our Gospel reading today begins, To you who hear I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus goes on to talk about cheeks, a cloak, and a tunic. The point is, don't seek revenge for your own sake. Now there are times when we seek not revenge, but some consequence for the other's action. Again, not for our own good, but for their good and the good of others. What I mean by this is, is if someone has a bad habit of stealing, for instance, then it would be good for them if there was some sort of consequence for stealing, so they could learn that what they're doing is not good. I mean, this is why we punish kids, or we should. It is by punishing them that they learn that stealing is not okay. If adults steal, we throw them in jail. And if we put them in jail, it's not just for their own sake that they learn that stealing is wrong, but for others' sake, so the person doesn't have the ability to steal from others. So sometimes there needs to be consequences for the wrong actions of others. However, those consequences should never come from a place of personal revenge or even personal justice. David trusted God when David had a chance to kill Saul. David, again, did not take justice into his own hands. It is okay if the seeking of justice comes from a desire for their good, again, that they learn that their actions are wrong and evil, or from a desire to protect others, meaning the consequences protect others from being wrong in the future. But again, Jesus is challenging us not to seek consequences out of a sense of personal revenge. Jesus goes on to give us the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. So instead of seeking personal revenge or even personal justice, just like our Savior on the cross, we need to extend mercy, not justice. In the Gospel, Jesus pleads with us, his followers, to love our enemies and do good to them. If we do, our reward may not be great on earth, but it will be great in heaven. Now we are all sinners ourselves and those who have wronged us. We both are the ungrateful and the wicked that Jesus talks about. Quote, for the Most High Himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Because Jesus showed us great mercy by dying for the sins of those who have wronged us and for our sins, we should show great mercy and forgiveness to those who have wronged us. As I've explained before, forgiving is not forgetting. I've used this example before, but if you have a son who stole $20, a $20 bill from your billfold, you may forgive him, but for his sake, you should probably not leave a $20 bill on the kitchen table right away. It would be too much of a temptation for him to steal again. The son, through small steps, needs to grow in virtue and regain the trust of his father so that he won't steal again. Jesus goes on to say, Stop judging, and you will not be judged. Stop condemning, and you will not be condemned. 
Forgive and you will be forgiven. In a world of relativism, in a world that all ideas are believed to be equal, I feel like I need to say this again, to explain this again. It is true we cannot judge or condemn a person to hell. Only God knows the state of their soul. Only God knows if they are in a state of grace, meaning their salvific grace in their souls, uh, or if they have committed a mortal sin and thus killed the saving grace in their soul. Now remember, three things are needed for mortal sin to occur, for a person to kill the saving grace in their souls. One, it has to be a grave action. Two, they have to know that it is a grave action. And three, they have to freely choose it. Often only God knows if two or three are true. Often only God knows if they knew it was a grave action and they freely chose it. This is why we can have hope that those who commit suicide might be in heaven. Killing someone, even yourself, is a grave action. It is assumed that they have been taught to know that killing someone, even yourself, is a serious action, a grave action. But modern psychology and experience would tell us that most, and I would argue all, who commit suicide are not in a state of mind where they are freely choosing their actions. In a world of relativism, again where all ideas are considered equal, as Catholics we believe that their actions are objectively wrong, that there are actions that are wrong and evil no matter what the circumstances or thoughts. So even though we may not be able to judge the state of someone's soul, whether or not they're going to heaven or hell, because we don't know if their action was gravely wrong, if they knew that their action was gravely wrong, or if they freely chose the action. However, we do know that they did it. So even though we can't judge the, the state of their soul, we can judge their actions. We do this all the time with children. We judge their actions and reprimand them so that they learn right from wrong. We do this when we throw people into jail. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We are called to judge people's actions, not to condemn them or judge the state of their soul, but to correct them, to help them grow in holiness and virtue. We are called to help each other become saints. Sometimes out of love we need to call out a brother or sister in Christ, but we also need to do this with gentleness and love. We live in a fallen world with fellow fallen human beings. We are all sinners. We all wrong each other. The question is, how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with the natural reactions of revenge and justice? Or are we going to respond with the supernatural reactions of mercy and forgiveness that comes from the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ? Remember, we are called to live differently. We are called to live for Jesus.